Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Eli Gate 25. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I'm not even going to ask you about Thursday night's game. I can't bring myself to ask you about Washington against Chicago. Oh, come on. Could, who who wouldn't love watching that Thursday night football game? Y- you. I, I have no exactly. doubt. You. There were, th- I wasn't going to turn it on. There yeah. was no chance that I was going to watch one minute. Of the over-under for that game was 37. I don't know that I've okay. seen a line right, in the so, NFL that low, but I, it's a good setup for your gambling yeah, conundrum just, you have going on. Yeah, I was just going to say, you mentioned over-unders. Okay, so this week, uh, for people that are living in a cave, this is Michigan-Penn State. Not in a cave. And, not everybody is a Michigan fan or a Penn State fan, but go go ahead okay, and insult but, all but the other people. We're in Philadelphia, okay? Yes. I'm pretty sure everybody knows that it that Penn State is playing this weekend, and it's a big game between two undefeated teams, two teams ranked in the top ten. Potentially. So so this is the week that I get pestered by all my 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 Penn State friends. Who, who somehow have decided that they're coming out of, of, of their little groundhog hole and they need to bet me on this game. <laughs> and it's not enough that people need to taunt me about this. And I usually don't taunt back. But no, you would they, never taunt back ever. No, no for I, well, no, I wait till after the, the game is played. Because <laughs> I've never gotten text messages during a game from you, as you to say, to provide context to the score alerts that I'm already getting from ESPN. <laughs> yes, especially when it's 77 to nothing. <laughs> but... but it's not enough that they want to bet. me. You want to bet me? Go ahead. You want to bet me lunch or dinner or whatever? I'll be glad to go out and I'll be glad to have a free meal. However, what I am not going to do is sit there and be told that I need to give them points in order to have a friendly bet. I I just think that's bad protocol. What do you think? I'm not betting with you, so it doesn't matter for me. <laughs> well, yeah, and you don't bet. But Well, look, you know this from negotiating. It's only a bad offer if someone doesn't accept it. Okay. Well, I just want to so make if you're anybody out there, you, you want to you want to reach out, you want to bet me on Penn State, Michigan, or I guess or they would like look that, at it. If I'm I, good with that. If I channel my channel my inner Keith Pompey for a second, yeah. he would say that you don't believe in your team enough to lay points. But that I'm just throwing that out there from the right. contrarian point of view. No, I just of what could be look, going on here. Well, if you're a gambler, fine, you go with points and spreads and odds and do whatever you want. Yes. If you're a fan. The only thing that matters is whether your team wins or loses. Not and if, if you're I'm betting fan, on it. If I'm a fan of Michigan and you're a fan of Penn State and you think your team is going to beat my team, then just bet me straight up. A lot Don't of ch- sit there I- and say, I will be victorious if my team loses, but I cover the spread. As Rutgers fired their offensive linemen this week, I don't think there's enough points you could give me to want me to take Rutgers when you go to Wait, they fired their offensive linemen? Their offensive coordinator. Oh, well, that's not what you said. You said their offensive line. I can't speak today. They Haven't we should learned probably that? fire the offensive line. <laughs> yeah, there's zero chance I'm betting anything on Rutgers when you go to see them play Michigan in a few weeks. By the way, the black uniforms, they got to go. It's not Rutgers. You don't, you don't like it? Mm, you do? No, I like the red. I mean, maybe this, maybe it's a student thing. and they. Like I understand it, you know, what they're doing, but I like the red. I'm, I'm a... 
I'm not a traditionalist, clearly, because I'm not like you. I don't object to any changes in anything. But I like, I like the red. Plus, what's I... Rutgers tradition? Hey. <laughs> Can you be a traditionalist well, if there's no tradition in football? Easy. Other there. than you played the first game. Go gentle, okay? I have to watch this team play every week. I don't need any more from you. Thank you. I will hey, say, speaking of red. First week in November, Michigan is here. Speaking of red, can I say how impressive it is, I think, that the Phillies have gotten the brand on Red October with how many different red teams there are in baseball. Like if you go to push Red October and on Twitter, it has a little hashtag for the Phillies. How did that happen that they got, I mean, you're an attorney, trademark attorney. How did they get Red October? Uh, forget that. The, the more impressive thing is, is that the they made that, it to Red October. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was also a book. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. No, I'm not getting into that with that little time we're going to have today because we have two great guests coming up. I want to get into the fact that that Phillies fans do show up when the team is good. They you mean not like Atlanta fans? Times. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, uh, the other night with the with the Braves and the Phillies, there were a lot of Phillies fans. Did you want to turn a off lot. your phone with my falling uh, cost alert for the tickets in Atlanta? Although that I kept sending it, it was, with you, it was baffling as it to went from little. seventeen dollars to thirteen to eleven, down to six at first pitch for Game One of the NLDS. Of, it was of cheaper. The, of, it was cheaper to fly to Atlanta and buy a ticket and Uber to the stadium than it would be to drive to park for a Phillies game where standing room only tickets for today's game are going for upwards of 200 bucks. And we're, and we're literally talking about the reigning champion, World Series champion, and they can't sell out their stadium or at least get people to essentially give their tickets away. For I mean, if, if it's $15 for a ticket, that's more than the price of, of the fees that are included. Well, and then for the Wednesday night game, they had to actually give half off of concessions, not alcohol, because of the rain delay. So everybody got to stuff their face before the game. They had to? Well, Why did they have to? They didn't have to. I guess they wanted people to stick around. Maybe they worried they would okay. leave, so they gave them half-price food. <laughs> Either way. For a playoff uh, game, you have to you have to incentivize fans to stay? The, I Apparently. The Phillies come back. As to somebody f- that was get game five in the World Series... You don't have to incentivize. Yeah, in the to in that in that you really rain. care about your team. Rain Coming with, back with to bicycle. Philadelphia after being on the road since September 25th, the Phillies are tied one-one against the Braves. Their manager no longer is an interim with a two-year deal. Right. What is your feeling of this baseball team right now? I don't know if it's much different than it was before. I mean, I've expressed to you that I didn't think this team had enough to to win it all, certainly. And I didn't think that they were going to get past the Cardinals. So obviously, my opinion doesn't mean much these days. Could I point out your opinion didn't mean much before that separate from the pick? Or should I just leave that off the cutting room floor? No, you you can include that. It's not the first time I have heard that today. Um, Hey, not from me. First time you've heard it today from me. <laughs> yeah, okay. I feel so much better. Um, <laughs> but but it is easy to get caught up in this. It is exciting, especially what we have going this afternoon. You have a 1-1 series coming back to Philadelphia. Philadelphia, if it takes care of business, gets two home games and can close this out. So today... There is excitement. The city, you walk around the city for the last couple of days and you see people wearing Phillies hats and Phillies sweatshirts and Phillies shirts. 
offices have their employees wearing Phillies jerseys and Phillies paraphernalia. The city is completely into it at this point. And you have Aaron Nola, who has been great the second half of the season and in his playoff start before. So it's easy to get excited about. The problem is, even if they win today, then you have the problem of they don't have anybody to start the next two games. No, they need to get their bats going. They're winning, but you know, Schwerber and Hoskins are one for 34. They've, they've struggled at times. Bryce Harper has really come around and made really solid con contact with mm -hmm. the ball. That's been great to see. Right. Um, you know, the bullpen questionable uh, at best. Eflin is still apparently your closer, even though he doesn't name your name He's a closer. Uh, I'm, I will be shocked if we get to a close game. And Dominguez, the way he's pitched the last few games, I would be shocked if Dominguez is not now the closer again. <laughs> what was Eflin, your... can, Eflin is not a closer. He never has Is been. he a he's long reliever? Like, can he be a seventh, eighth inning guy? Can he be a long reliever? Because his body doesn't seem to hold out for a full season of pitching. Maybe if he gets into that. But, I mean, you and I have talked since the inception of this show about roles. And, and you put Eflin in a role that he has no experience in. And, and let's face it, there is a mentality and a personality that you need to be a closer. There is a reason they all seem crazy. Uh, that they have this mentality that other people on the team don't have. And you, when you look at Eflin, you, you don't see him walking out of the, the bullpen with that mentality. I don't even know if Eflin has walk-in music. No, well, Eflin's whole thing is he's calm and doesn't overdo it. Like, he doesn't get overworked up That's or, or a starter let his mentality. emotions and, and, go away. Right, and if, it, if, it, if he can't, if his body's going to keep breaking down, yeah, you can have him be a long reliever. Maybe he can get into that role. You don't put him in that role weeks before you get into a playoff. If, that's, if, that's the problem with it. If you would have told people two weeks ago, when or three weeks ago, when they were losing in Chicago, that they would beat St. Louis and come back to Philadelphia 1-1 against the Braves, people would be thrilled and not believe it. But because of how they lost on Wednesday night, Wheeler pitching so well, then some people think Reese Hoskins should have at least knocked it down. if He's not going to make the play then Wheeler, kind of the wheels fall off. It seems like there is a hesitation about this team that fits into where we generally are as Phillies fans, worrying regularly about it. So I guess we yeah. wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, but let's face it, this is fun. I mean, you, you could not have more fun than the anticipation and the excitement. This stadium is going to be sold out. The manager of the Braves is already talking about the Phillies fans. The broadcast He's, was talking about they're saying this stadium's fun, but just wait till we get to Philly. Which, by the way, I know that you like. It's the first like, home game in eleven years. I know that you like John Smoltz on the broadcast. I, I like him, him better than Alex Rodriguez on the broadcast. But I'm still turning on the local broadcast and syncing up the audio to the station. I, I well, just enjoy that better than the national broadcast. I just do. Okay. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> Jeff, we've got a couple minutes before we get to Mike Golick, and then after that, we've we got go. JP Delacamera. Yeah, Eagles Dallas mm -hmm. Week. It's fun to to have Eagles Dallas Week mean something again around here where they care about it. The Eagles come in at 5-0. and Dallas comes in at 4-1. and Cooper Rush will still be the quarterback. Dak Prescott not ready to come back. Now, look, if Cooper Rush wins this game, 
I don't see how Dak gets his job back right now. That team would be five and one and in first place in the East beating the first place team. So there's a lot on the line for both teams here. The Eagles clearly want to prove who they are, what they did. They were able to pull it out in Arizona last week, looking sloppy at times, but able to pull through running the ball down Arizona's throat in the fourth quarter. Uh, what's your thoughts on what we're going to see out of this Eagles team? And you'll be down there with your son on Sunday night. So what I, I know will. you you have no rooting interest and are not really totally interested in being down there for the madhouse. But tell me what you expect to see down there. Well, well he, here's the problem. You don't know what the weather's going to be. So the game, depending on what the weather's going to be, you're going to see a completely different game. But what I do know is the two most important players on in this game uh, for the Cowboys, it's Parsons. And, and for the Eagles, it's Jalen Hurts. This is where Jalen Hurts proves himself. He is He's taken a step up. They have surrounded him with the talent that he needs to succeed. And now he is going to be thrust into the spotlight with Parsons constantly on him. And let's face it, the Eagles offensive line has to stand up to him at this point and that defensive line. And Jalen Hurts has to prove it. This, the, he's going to make a lot of money or lose a lot of money on this game. Yeah, and look, the Eagles can go into the break at six and zero, and better than anybody thought. I know we could talk on the. Who's field. their kicker this week? I Is it think Dicker the kicker I think Elliot's going to be back, but I'm not really sure. Dicker won pl- special teams player of the week while he's here. We, did you go out and get your Dicker jersey? I did not. I decided to leave <laughs> that there. Jeff, four minutes be- before we have Golic on, I did want to ask you, because it does involve the Cowboys with Jerry Jones. Um, Dan Snyder has a private investigator <laughs> looking at people to get information so they can't get him out. Uh, your thoughts on the ESPN story that you sent me, that you told me how amazing and jaw-dropping it was, and then I started to send you the quotes, and you said, I know I read it. Baffling. I mean, literally, literally, when I read that report, and by the way, the, one of the lead reporters for that is Don Van Atta, who we've had on the show many yeah, times. We may have to call him back. That was a bonkers it, it, report. That report, I don't know how the NFL can keep him in the league after that. I didn't understand, quite frankly, how somebody with that checkered a history running this organization the way that he ran it could stay in the league beforehand. If you remember when the fine was levied on him by the commissioner, the commissioner came down pretty hard on him. Well, part of that agreement was that he was going to take a step back and not be involved. And that story makes clear he hasn't done that. He pushed for Carson Wentz to be there. Well, you know what? I don't know how you can step back and still have somebody in your own family, regardless of who it is, be running the organization. The fact is this organization, that organization has been a mess for a long time. He is somebody who's thumbed his nose at the organizations, thumbed his nose at society, thumbed his nose at, at, at being a decent human being, it appears. At some point, he's got to go because it's now, if it wasn't going to be just because it's the right thing to do, and I believe that there's an owner's meeting coming up. But if it wasn't just because it was the right thing to do, now from a business perspective, they're having a really hard time. There's talk that the owners may get together and for stadium financing, not allow him or not provide him with the financing that they normally provide owners with. And they're having a hard time. I mean, that team was beloved in that area. And they are having a hard time finding a place that will let them put a new stadium. It doesn't it is, surprise it is me baffling how, how far this has... team has fallen under his leadership and because of his behavior. 
but that's that's exactly the reason. It's under his behavior and his leadership that they've right. done this. It's it's the way that he has run the organization as an owner through the years that has led to what they have ended up with, both on and off the field. The culture that they have there, the things that are that have been tolerated and that have been allowed to go on that would not go on in any other part of corporate life. And you now have a situation where the owners, this story puts the the onus squarely on the owners because the assumption, it could be completely wrong, but now there's this story out there that he's basically built this dossier of dirt on all these other owners. And, it, and if they don't act, there's going to be this presumption or assumption, regardless of whether it's true, of whether or not they didn't do this because of their own dirty closets. And it's going to cause a bunch of reporters all over the league to start digging around on them. Yeah, if people haven't read the story, he comes across very paranoid that everybody is out to get him. And I mean, it says in there clearly, he used previous investigations of who spoke to create an enemies list for who he would target to try to take down and get information on. I I don't see how this ends well for the NFL because he seems willing to burn the whole house down. Yep. Uh, he, right. he just absolutely does. Jeff, well, let's let's move on to talking to to a famous former eagle about some pork rinds. So I definitely we'll talk pork rinds. We'll talk defense. <laughs> let's get to it all with Mike Golick. All right, Jeff, let's talk some football and the importance of supporting retired football players with Eagles great Mike Golick. Mike, welcome back to the show today. Glad to be back. How y'all doing? Uh, we're good. Look, you know all about this. It's Eagles Dallas week here. Fans loved watching your buddy Ryan defenses beat up on Dallas. Uh, before we get to supporting uh, retired players and pork rinds, any memories stand out from you of games against the Cowboys at the veteran Dallas? Any. It's almost like which didn't. I mean, so so many great games. I mean, I forgot what year it was. We started out the year both 4-0 and played on Monday night. Obviously, the the uh, everybody remembers the um, uh, the Bounty Bowl, you know the the Thanksgiving games. I mean, it, it was it was just a different week. You know, we always said it was Cowboy Week, so practice took on a bit of a different um, a different feel. Uh, Buddy Ryan and Jimmy Johnson we're not uh, we're not singing Kumbaya together. They uh, there was not a love loss there, and it kind of bled over onto the field. We had some we had some great matchups with them. Unfortunately for us. They were able to close out, you know, a couple of Super Bowls when uh, we were all together in Philly in 92 and 93, and uh, we weren't able to do that. So at the end, I know they got the better of it. We certainly got the better in some of the games, but always a physical, hard-fought game. You know, as somebody who played a, a physical, hard-fought version of football, who was in the bounty ball, who, who played in the body bag game, do you have any thoughts on how the league can find a balance between protecting the players and, and, and what is going on now with, with the quarterbacks and the penalties that are being called? Well, I mean, between quarterbacks, which are, you know, the stars of the league and the money makers and a reason, you know, some, as a former D lineman, it's always hard to admit, you know, people will tune in for the most part anyway, but having a big name, big time quarterback helps. Um, and, and I think then we've learned a lot about, head injuries, you know, when I was playing, um, you know, if, if you got stung in the head a little bit and you, they said how many fingers you got up, if you got close, you went back in the game. I mean, and I'm not kidding. That's kind of how it went. It was just kind of considered a headache, but like anything else, you become smarter, you know, about things and we got more information. 
about head injuries and and um, and the effects of them. And remember, the league got sued and lost the lawsuit for about seven eight hundred million dollars to players for hiding uh, some of the information. So they're going to definitely err on the side of caution, which they should. My issue is that it can cost you. You know, I mean, I get the safety part of it, but some of those roughing the, the quarterback calls were absolutely ridiculous. And remember, we get to see them in replay. Um, so they look even more egregious to us than in fast, you know, in real time that the refs see. But the refs are told err on the side of safety and they're going to throw the flag. So until the competition, the, the rules aren't going to change, what's going to happen is, between the competition committee and the league, they're going to have to tell the referees, okay, let's not throw the flag so quickly because that's what the refs are doing. The refs are following the league's orders because remember the refs get graded as well. The refs just can't take it upon themselves to say, well, I'm not going to throw a flag on that anymore. If it looks like the quarterback was rough because we're getting graded on this, the league needs to like every year, the league tells the, the, the refs, we have a point of emphasis. And they need to say, listen, some of the plays you're seeing, we're just not going to call them roughing the passer anymore because they're ridiculous and it can change the outcome of a game. You can be off the field, all of a sudden you got a first down. You could be Kansas City and all of a sudden you could be off the field and the Raiders keep the ball and they kick a field goal and it costs you three points. So it can be very detrimental. So while I get the airing on the side at times, at times, to me, they go too far with it. How hard is it for a defender when you're in that moment, you know, to both hear that the play is dead at that point to stop so you don't get the penalty? I can't imagine how difficult that is. Well, the hardest was years ago when they started changing the rules, especially the hitting of the what they call then the defenseless receiver. Because understand, guys that defensive backs that were in the league before that, they didn't have those rules. So they were smoking everybody so now all of a sudden in one off season they're told to change which is difficult because they just weren't doing that in the nfl that means they were doing it in college they were doing it in high school because you were allowed to do it then all of a sudden they were asked to change the way they did it very hard to do when it's ingrained in you a certain way to do it now the next generation of players that come through will know these rules and we know there can't be any more of those real intimidating hits over the middle now you see a hard hit and the refs throw a flag for safety. Again, I think a little too much, but this is what they're instructed to do. So while there are, there are those that say, oh, the players are softer, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but the rules have made the game not as violent, which, again, I go back to the last question, can be a good thing, but when they go too far with it, I can see how, how people get a bit disgusted with it, especially a defensive player. I mean, you land on a quarterback and put your hands out so your full body weight doesn't land on them and they still throw the flag. You're going, what the hell am I supposed to do? How do you want me to tackle this guy without getting 15 yards? You know, the, the, the point of these rules is safety, to make the, the game safer yeah. for the players that play it. But at the time you played and before that, players didn't have the benefit of this, which is why we're, we're having you on and this is why we talk to you guys every year. Can you tell us a little bit about Gridiron Greats, what its mission is, and what Pork Rind Appreciation Day is all about? Well, Gridiron Greats, I've been on the board for a few years now, something Mike Dicta helped start years ago. And, you know, the, the, the one thing about players that came before, we always know, talk about that, 
and players that came just decades and decades ago, you know, they just don't have some of the things that the players of today have out of the CBA when you retire, you know, they're, they're not making the, the amount of the pension and, and, uh, and severance and everything that those players have made, nor the money. So there are guys that, that financially are not in great shape, but they're, and their bodies are in worse shape. So they need, they, they need some help, whether, and what Gridiron and Greats does, I, I equate it this way, is when I was a player, if, if my teammate was knocked down, I put a hand down to help him up. If I was knocked down, somebody helped me up. That's basically what we're doing. We're sick of putting our hand down, and we want to help up those players that are struggling with their mortgage. Maybe, you know, have, need, need to see the dentist, need a checkup at the doctor, things like that, and, and larger things as well. But sometimes everyday things can add up. So that's what Gridiron and Greats is there for, to help those players. And, uh, you know, Southern Recipe Small Batch, you know, the, the Pork Rind Appreciation Day, 14th year in a row. I mean, they've been involved. They're, they, they are incredible. And the Pork Rind Appreciation Day is on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, so what they're doing is they're, they're trading sacks for snacks. So if you go to porkrindappreciationday.com, you can enter by picking any team you believe is going to get sacks. You can uh, each week they're going to randomly select uh, a winner and they win a case of pork rinds for every sack their team gets a grand prize of $5,000 a year in pork rinds. And money is going to go to the gridiron greats to help these former players. So, you know, that, that's what we look for is, is for help from places and, and Southern's uh, recipe small batch has been fantastic to help us raise money for that and to help these former players guys that play now and then retire have it a little uh, certainly a lot better than guys who played you know in the 40s and 50s and earlier and really 60s 70s and when i played in the 80s there there are some guys living in some tough times that we just want to help out well the eagles d-line is doing their best to get some uh, snacks for sacks uh they had nine sacks in the washington game while we let you go tell us what you've seen out of this five and O team the last undefeated team in the nfl this year well, I, I see they and Buffalo Bills as basically the two most balanced teams in the NFL, you know, from the passing game to the running game to the defense, um, all incorporating. You know the Eagles always have a good running game. Jalen Hurts helps that. But bringing in A.J. Brown helps open up Devontae Smith even more. And so those two can play off one another. The O-line staying healthy. I know they started to get nicked a little bit last week, but they've had four or five linemen start all the games this year. You know, that's something to keep an eye on because that's an issue for them the last few years, occasionally getting nicked. But the defense, you know, at all all levels, and especially that pass rush, getting after it. So that, to me, has been the biggest thing about this team has been their balance offensively and defensively. I think they're the playing as the best team in the NFC right now because of that. All right, before we let you go, last question. Eagles are bringing back Kelly Green next year. How excited are you? Oh, I think that's awesome. I mean, I'm going to have so many – deja vu moments you know the one deja vu moment i won't have is when i see number 90 in that kelly green because jordan davis is already a better player than i was <laughs> you know uh, when i was with the Eagles. so uh but it'll be great to see uh kelly green out there again really it really will well jeff is tired of me rallying on the need to bring back kelly green so i will be excited to have to stop complaining about that mike golick it is great what you are doing to support gridiron greats the NFL players who made this league great. And thanks for giving us some time to talk about it all. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. 
They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, let's talk some soccer with the man himself, one of the voices of soccer, JP Delacamera. JP, thanks for joining us again. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. My pleasure to join you guys as always. It is always a blast to talk to you. You know, when, when you come on, we, we try and figure out what angle we're going to go to. And, you know, I, there was a story about you in the Inquirer the other day uh, with the union. I'm sure you don't really like the attention of that, but I didn't realize you were the only person to have ever called games on every major U.S. broadcast network, including ESPN and Turner Sports. Just talk to us about the journey that you've had in this wonderful sport. Uh, long journey, that's for sure. And, you know, blessed to have had opportunities with all of those networks. I think that, you know, you have to be fortunate because when you think about it, um, I admire these guys that work on one network for 20 years or 30 years or with one team, you know, whether it's the Phillies announcers or Eagles or, or whoever it happens to be, you know, you work with a club for 20 years or 30 years um, to work with different networks. It's, it's different in the sense that you got to have somebody liking you at all of those different places, I guess is the best way to say it. Uh, and you need luck, you know, for that to happen. Um, guys and women, whoever hold those network positions, get hired and fired. So there's always a, a, a change in terms of who is making those decisions. So I, I must say that for me to have worked for all of those networks uh, over all these many years, I... I don't take any of that for granted. And I, and I put a lot of good fortune into that equation. In working for all those networks and covering all the different leagues that you've covered, what are the, the, the two things that, that you most have noticed as the evolution of the broadcast of soccer over that period of time? That's a question that nobody's ever asked me. So I have to think about it. Um, it's obviously television is obviously in a much better place than it was years ago. You know, picture quality. When I started, certainly HD was those initials hadn't even been put together yet. Right. So everything was standard definition back then. Uh, I think that now, um, probably because of all the games that are on the fan base is that much more knowledgeable. They might've been more knowledgeable in the old days, but we probably didn't know that or gave them enough credit for that. But I think it's like repetition, right? The more you do, the better you, you should get at it. So I think that having all of these games on television, you know, going back to when I first started my broadcasting career, our game of the week was indoor soccer. It was a major indoor soccer league. There was no outdoor soccer here. And now in this country, you can watch any league, anywhere, any tournament, anytime on your TV, your smart TV, your app, uh, smartphone, iPad, you can watch any games you want. So there's no reason not to become more educated in this sport or any other sport that gets this much television coverage. I think that's where it's changed probably. Uh, I think the audience is more demanding as well because they know, they know more, they expect more. I think that's a good thing. And I think we're always trying in the TV business to to try to get it better, you know, not to take away from the game itself. The game is the real story. Know the storylines that are going in, 
I mean, there's probably more meetings and more discussion these days than there was 30 years ago. You're arriving at games earlier, probably more prepared than you were. You definitely are more prepared because um, we didn't have internet back when I started. So, you know, how did you get game notes? How did all that stuff come about? So definitely we are all more, I say we, all broadcasters uh, are more prepared today than we were 20, 30 years ago. And as MLS takes that next step moving into streaming more, we're going to see a change in the landscape even further with us losing our local broadcast teams and going with the Apple model that they have. You've been one of the constants here since getting the job in 2010. I'm wondering if you can talk about the growth that you've seen and change over the union in that last decade plus. Huh. I'm taking a deep breath to think about it. I, I would say I had this conversation, by the way, with, with Ali Moreno the other day, he and I met for lunch. Um, we live near each other in Connecticut and he's always been a good friend. And we just talked about it, how we we've, we've seen a lot. I said to Ali, when we first met and had lunches here, we were talking about, you know, why, why is the team struggling? You know, what's happening here? You know, why can't they win? Why aren't they signing this guy or that guy? And now it's like, wow, this team could win MLS cup. You know, this is a really good team. It's deep. It's organized. It's a great organization. And this is how far guys it has come. When I first started, you know, the reputation of the team was that they wouldn't spend money. That's false. First of all, they spend more money on, on their academy uh, and their youth players than any other team does in Major League Soccer. And if you look at the contracts that were given or transfers on Bedoya, on Michael Uwa, on Daniel Gazdag, they do spend money. And if you look at the salaries that are public and you see how much some of these guys are making, it's a myth to say that, that these guys are not well-paid, a majority of them anyway, right? So I think that we've gone from people saying, um, why is, you know, why does Philly struggle? Why don't they want to spend more money to all these new teams coming in, looking at the Philly model because it works, right? And why do you think FC Cincinnati in one year made a jump like that? Philly model, you know, Chris Albright came in, Pat Noonan came in, both from the Philadelphia Union, and in one year, now I'm not saying it takes more than one year to, you know, they made the playoffs. They're happy they made the playoffs. They probably think they could have finished higher. But this is a team that should become just like Philly, should be consistently good now for X amount of years because the model works. And in Philly, the model is in place. Give uh, owner Jay Sugarman all the credit for the criticism that he took in the early days. And look what's happened. Yeah, but the, the model also requires the, the people behind the model. You, 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 can, you can lay out a blueprint for a house. If you don't have the right people being the architects, the engineers, the builders, it's all going to fall down. What have you noticed about Jim Curtin, the general manager, ownership that has led to this progression? Because I've never seen in any sport the way that the union have progressed little by little building block by building block. I'll start with Ernie Stewart. When he came in here, I think Ernie changed the culture a little bit. You know, he had a U.S. national team background. He had connections overseas. Um, back then, they didn't spend as much money as they do right now. So I think Ernie had to be maybe more spot on with some of the guys that he that he signed. And he did sign sign some good players, you know, and he missed on some. Uh, you know, you fast forward, 
Uh, and, and Ernie was a Jim Curtin believer. And I don't know what conversations took place, but I remember when Ernst Tanner was hired, my first thought was, you know, he's new. I hope he doesn't bring in his own guy because I feel like Jim Curtin is like one of the best coaches back then, I thought. Now he, he certainly is, but I thought they've got a really good coach in place. I hope they keep him. And to Ernst's credit, he didn't come in there with any perceived notion that I've got my own guy. I'll dangle Jim out there for a year. I'll, I'll see what I've got. And then I'll bring in my guy. Ernst gave Jim a chance. And I think the two of them connected in an early and positive way. My, my guess is that Ernie Stewart also left a good note behind to Ernst saying that, you know, give him some time. It's a young coach, but this is the guy. And, and he's proven that he is the guy. And, and Ernst Tanner went from, from Ernie Stewart, who was here, and this is a high level, another few notches above. And the players that Ernst Tanner has brought in, ask any scouts, ask any coaches, whoever heard of Daniel Gazda, whoever heard of Michael Ua, whoever heard of Kai Wagner, whoever heard of Jose Martinez, raise your hand out there if you did. And I can tell you, I see no hands raised, including my own. I didn't know who any of these guys were, but Ernst obviously did. You know, and some guys work out and some guys don't. And I remember watching Gazdag last year and, and recognizing that even though he was struggling, that this guy has ability. Did I know that he could score 22 goals? No. But I thought for sure, maybe 12 goals, 12 assists would be reasonable. After all, you know, he's not a striker. He's really... Uh, He's really more of a number 10 that can score goals, right? So guys like that, you know, you got to have patience with him, right? He came in late last year. There was an injury or two. He had national team commitments, didn't know the league, didn't know his teammates, didn't know the referees, didn't know the travel, didn't know anything. And now in one year, he's got the 22 goals, right? Seven of those were game winners. He was seven for seven on penalty kicks. Then you've got Michael Uwa. Again, slow start to this year. He ended up with 13 goals. I mean, sky's the limit for this guy. I'd be shocked if next year he doesn't get 20 or close to 20. And the same with Carranza. I mean, that's how well these guys have been going, but you've got to be able to see this talent. They took a chance on Carranza, right? I think Miami paid, I want to say, $9 million for him, and he wasn't fitting in there. He comes to Philly. They end up buying him for, you could Google it, I think it was a million dollars. What a bargain he was. The 14 goals, all of those assists. He led the team with the, with the high press and his energy. What a fantastic player. Those are three guys. I said this on the air the other day to Danny Higginbottom. I don't think I've seen in the history of this league, three attacking players work as well as those three together. So unselfishly, so always looking towards one another. If one of them succeeds, the other two are happy. And you don't find that everywhere. You might find that with, with two guys, not three. I'm looking at Cincinnati, and when I see Acosta, Vasquez, and Brenner, you know, you could have an argument that those three are in the same position, but it doesn't happen all that often in Major League Soccer. Usually, you know, a team has like this one guy that's scoring all the goals, or maybe two. Union have three. And it was a record-setting connection. They put up 72 goals this year. The previous record was 58 in 2019. Yeah. And with Gazdog, you look at his 22 goals and 10 assists. He's only the sixth player in MLS history 
to have that many goals and assists in the season. Talk about what you've seen from basically the tsunami of offense that we've seen at different times from this team. And, and how do you think that translates to the playoffs where it becomes a tighter game, a little less wide open than what we see sometimes in the regular season? Well, when I look at this team, I think of the records that they set, you know, for wins, for points, for goals, for away wins. They were unbeaten at home. You know, at, at home, it's been a fortress, right? They, they didn't lose a game all year. They did not give up more than one goal in any game at home. Um, I like their offense. It's the same offense, by the way, that during what, an eight or a nine game stretch, they were scoring one goal a game. It's yeah, they were the getting same ties players. all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's the same players. Then all of a sudden they play you know, DC United and light them up twice, actually. Uh, I think there was another high scoring game with Orlando. There was another one in there, uh, Houston, maybe. I mean, they were getting multiple goals in all of these games. So for whatever reason, whatever wasn't clicking clicked, and then they got that momentum. But I'm more encouraged by their defense, right? Because if defense wins championships, this is the best defensive team in the league. They've got the best goalkeeper in the league in Andre Blake. So I think if, if Andre has a rough game or the defense has a rough game, this team is capable of scoring two, three, four goals to win it. If Andre's Andre, they don't need that. One goal could do it. And they have more than enough to get that. So, you know, when I look at it, when I analyze it, I mean, I think most people would probably say that the Union and LAFC are, are the two favorites, but there's always upsets. And if you notice, uh, Philly gets to play the winner of Red Bull and FC Cincinnati. And that's not a matchup. I'm sure if you ask Jim Curtin, which two teams in the East he would prefer not to play? Neither of them. My gut feeling is he would say them. Either one, right? Uh, with Red Bulls, they had a draw with them and then they beat them at Red Bull Arena, but those Red Bull games are always intense and always close. Um, you could flip a coin in, in most of those games, right? Always hard fought. And Cincinnati, probably because of Pat and Chris um, and, and a better team, seem to have Philly's number. Right? Who gave who gave the union more trouble this year than FC Cincinnati? There's there's no one else that did. I mean, they, they tied them, hard fought game in Philly or in Chester. And in Cincinnati, Cincinnati got the win. I still like the union's chances against anybody because they've got home field advantage and they've got Andre Blake. And so that's my next question. Andre Blake. Andre Blake has been with this team for quite a while. He has been a standout for quite a while. How is Andre, not that I'm complaining, I don't want him going anywhere, but how has Andre Blake not made his way to Europe? Don't say that, Jeff. Yeah, you'd have to. Why'd you do that? You'd, you have to ask. Jeff's the guy that complains that people end up going to Europe and don't stay here. Oh, okay. and, now, and now he's ushering them out the door. He just seems like he's so good. That... He, he's excellent. Um, I'll tell you what happened with Andre. You'd have to ask European scouts because I could say the same thing to you. Why is Kai Wagner still here? He's the best left back in MLS. The price seems affordable. Who doesn't want a left-footed left back in the world? Not talking just Europe, in the world. You know, left backs, left-footed left backs, not easy to find. Uh, in Andre's case, there was a time a few years ago where I think it was a team in the English Championship, maybe. I don't think it was a Premier League. But they wanted Andre. And the money that they offered was okay. But because Jamaica 
was so poorly ranked as a national federation, he couldn't get a work permit there. And so that's probably the only reason why he didn't go at that particular time. And even though goalkeepers get better with age, you know, when you get past the age of 30, uh, first of all, I'm not sure how much Andre would want to go somewhere else at this point in his career. He seems, seems happy and content in Philadelphia. So I think it would take quite an offer to get him over there. Uh, I don't know what the work permit is because Jamaica hasn't really improved themselves over the years in terms of uh, their national ranking. So I don't know how easy or difficult it would be for him to get a permit. But if all things were equal, he would be over there. So it's got nothing to do with, you know, with Andre himself. It's got nothing to do with the team not being willing to help him out. I'm, I'm sure they'd hate to see him go, but this organization has been very good with this, this kind of thing. If, if Andre went to them and said, hey, listen, I love it here, but I know the offer is not quite what you guys want, but I've given you eight years, nine years, 10 years here. Will you let me go? My gut tells me that they would try to accommodate him. Okay, well, right I hope now- it doesn't happen. Hope it doesn't happen. Thank you. And I, I don't think it will. Right, and right now we're blessed to have him. So, so yeah. and, and more importantly, Jim Curtin's blessed to have him. How much easier does it make it on a coach like Jim Curtin to know that he's back there so that you can attack offensively and, and know if you make a mistake that he's back there? Well, it's not just big for Jim. It's, it's big for the, the four guys in front of Andre, for Martinez in front of him. I think those guys have the confidence knowing that if, if there is a mistake, you've got Blake back there. I, I think if you're playing with, let's say it's a rookie goalkeeper or a goalkeeper that is in bad form or he's coming off of an injury, um, I think the normal player would be thinking, you know, I, I, can't, I can't take this gamble. I can't go too far. Uh, I got to protect him. Uh, and maybe the coach is saying the same thing. So I think it's huge when you have a goalkeeper like Blake, who unquestionably is the best in this league, he should become the only player to win a third Golden Glove in MLS history. The first player to win three Golden Gloves. He's already won it twice. Uh, some people say he should be an MVP. You know, leave that to others to decide. You've got the goalkeeper of the year award. And I think that that's his. I mean, he led the league in goals against average, wins, shutouts among number one goalkeepers. He had the best save percentage. And there were many a game. And when you think back to the games that I referenced before, where the team was only able to score one goal for eight or nine straight games, they couldn't, they couldn't get a second goal. They weren't losing those games. Remember, they were, they were winning a couple maybe and getting draws. That was Andre. That was all Andre. And, and look, he started all 34 games this season, one yep. of three players with Daniel Gazdog and Jacob Glasnus. That for the consistency on defense to have those guys out there, clearly huge. We'll, we'll close on the union in one sec. I did want to ask you, we are getting close to the World Cup for the men, the women's World Cup coming up. You're going to be the lead announcer for the women. You're going to be on the call for the men. This will be your 10th men's World Cup that you call. What should my concern level be as a fan about the men's and women's teams going into these tournaments the way they've played lately? Hey, uh, the men are young, but they're the most talented group I've ever seen in my lifetime in terms of that much talent on one particular team. That doesn't tell you where they're going to go, right? Because you don't know how young players will react to the pressure of a World Cup. I've said this many times. 
in that group, they could win all three games and it would not shock me. And they could lose all three and it wouldn't shock me. I do believe they will advance out of that group. I do. And that first game is so vital. And obviously they have to play better because I, you know, we're doing this on Zoom. So I can see you rolling your eyes when you were saying, how will the U.S. men do? Because you're thinking back to Japan and Saudi Arabia's games. And I understand that. But, you know, he was trying out different players, whether you agree or disagree. Um, that's not the team. That's not the performance that I expect to see in Qatar. And, and for the women, um, you're probably thinking about these last two games where, you know, they've not lost two in a row since 2017. I mean, this is a team that really loses, rarely draws, and they've set the bar so high that the expectations are so high. But I think about that England game. Um, England was the better team, no question. Uh, but that Yates report, when it came out, definitely took a toll on our women. I'm not using that as an excuse uh, because you still have to play the game, right? You still have to be focused when the whistle blows. But I, I think that that hurt the team, that first game, not, not so much the second game, maybe, but, but that first game for sure. Um, missing, Makari has been out for a while, so I, I won't use that, but missing Mallory Pugh and missing Alex Morgan, I think hurt them. I think when they have a full squad, I'm not worried about, the U.S. team at all, but I think anyone that that looks at them, even when everybody's healthy and says they'll have an easy time in Australia, New Zealand, you're lying to yourselves because if you think back to that last World Cup that they did win, those games were close. They didn't just, you know, blow everyone over and and romp easily. Those were close games, and if Alyssa Nair doesn't make that penalty kick save in England semi-final game they may not get to a final right who knows but i think there's a lot of good teams now on the women's side and you saw one of them in in england how scary might spain be if 15 of their regulars didn't play and they and they beat our team uh spain is is a rising team they need to sort out their federation problems uh, you've got sweden you've got germany you've got brazil you've got france and and i think right now based on what i saw from england the other day if you're asking for like three favorites for the next World Cup, they're one of them, 100%. They're one of them. You know, you talked about this being the most talented U.S. men's national team. Despite the talent, you need the chemistry. That's, that's what we've seen with the union is the chemistry in addition to the talent. Do you see, have you seen that this group of, of young men do have any chemistry that can lead to something special? I've seen the chemistry in some games. I've not seen them in all games. I've seen the chemistry when, when Greg Berhalter really has his team. I've seen that chemistry when he's had, you know, Musa missing or McKenney missing or Adams has been out or um, Reyna was out, you know, then you see something different. But if all of these guys are healthy, and that's a big if guys, because um, I saw that some teams in England were playing nine games in one month. And, and I think those were just, England games, I don't think that they were counting if they were in Europa or UEFA Champions League, but they're playing a lot of games. So we don't know who's going to come in healthy and who's not. I mean, if if you look at that group that the U.S. is in, um, if if a team like England or the U.S. or even Wales have four or five injuries coming in, that levels the playing field for everybody, right? Maybe it helps Iran 
if what if Bale is hurt? You know, I mean, Wales is going to go as far as Gareth Bale goes. If Gareth Bale has a nightmare World Cup, um, they are going to have a nightmare World Cup, in my opinion. Whereas I don't think the U.S. or England or Iran, for that matter, you know, rely on on the one player as much as as Wales does. Not saying that Wales doesn't have enough talent, but Bale is their leader. Bale is their go-to guy. Now, with the U.S. women's national team, we had Susie Petroselli on last week to talk about the weight on women's soccer of that report. I don't want to ask you about that. I'd love to talk to you for hours about the actual report. But as far as how the report impacts the team, is that something that will continue to weigh on them? And will they continue to get questions about it? Or will they be able to move on and just be able to focus on soccer? That's a great question. It's it's better to be answered by by one of those women. I, I would say it's not something that will go away. Uh, I read the other day where Cindy Parlow Cohn, the president of U.S. Soccer, said that since that report came out, there were three new incidents reported. She didn't say where they were. So I, I have no idea if it was professional, college, or youth. But three more incidents. There will be more, sadly, that will come up. There's another investigation that's out there. We don't know what that is going to entail. But Vladko Andonovsky, their head coach, said it uh, in a good way the other day. And we talked about some players, you know, needing time off, some needing a hug, some wanting to go back out in the field and and train or or play in a game like everyone was different. So I, I it's not a one size fits all. And, and my my gut and again, I, I, I'm saying I'm not in their position, so I, I can only imagine the difficulty. But I, I would think if it's a player that was on Portland or a player that was on Chicago, they might have a, a different feeling than a player that was on a team that things were handled well. Because it's different. You know, if, if you're a person that, has suffered that abuse, or you've seen it, or you know that your owner or your coach or your manager is, is responsible for that, you're certainly going to think differently than a, than a player that hasn't seen any of this stuff, has heard the stories and is horrified by the stories, but still hasn't seen that. You know, it hasn't impacted that particular woman directly, but it's, it's awful. It's sad. Uh, I hope it gets cleaned up sooner rather than later and i think it should be zero tolerance anyone guilty of any of those charges should be out of the game all right well now i'm going to ask the 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 broadcaster who's won the national soccer hall of fame's colin jose award for lifetime achievement the big question is this the union's year yes did you want one word answer or i'm gonna leave it there as answer as you want wrong (laughs) if i'm wrong can you edit this out no, but by the by the time this airs, you know you won't know. Um, yeah, I'm on record for future I, I, episodes. I, we can. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm on record. Um, I think, and I said this before, that it, it didn't even matter. I mean, I'm assuming LAFC is going to win the West, but that's only an assumption. Like I said, upsets happen along the way, and and one could happen to the Union. But I I think that I'm not worried if the Union have to go into LA if they're on the road because the union had a winning road record and their defense is better than LAFC's and their goalkeeper is better than LAFC's. And like I said, if defense wins championships, 
than than this should be and could be their year. Well, we look forward to you on the call for their game next week, on the call for the upcoming World Cup games. And thank you for all the time you've given us here on the show through the years, explaining soccer to our fans and talking it out with us. We're not going to let you go anywhere. We're going to keep calling on you if that's all right. So, Oh, no, you should, but you're asking me questions where I really have to think, so I, I'm going to have to be more prepared next time. We try. <laughs> Je- Jeff yeah, goes no, deep right me, there. You asked me some things that I hadn't thought about, so it's good. It's good, good to stuff. be challenged. JP, thanks so much for the time. You take care of yourself, man. Anytime, guys. Jeff, what a pleasure it's been for us to get JP's time that he's so generously given to our show through the years to see him at the stadium and, and to get his thoughts again this week. You know, we've been blessed to have a lot of the the voices of the city in sports who over the years, people that have like stood the test of time, not people that have come in and out. And JP has been the voice of the union from the beginning of my memory of the Philadelphia Union. And it is always a pleasure, always has been, always will be to have him on the show, not just because of who he is and that voice, but because of his knowledge of soccer. I hope he's right too about this being the year because it will be one fun party down there if the Union win with the Sons of Ben down there at Subaru Park. A a parade. Wouldn't that be nice? Wonderful. Let's leave it there for the week. Come back next week. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.